2: The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily.
1: This is Football Social Daily, making Monday a little bit more bearable with a quick hit of the latest news, action, and gossip from the Premier League. There is a new show every single day, so make sure you are following this podcast in your preferred podcasting app and you'll get it as soon as it's ready. We're going to be venting a little bit of that Monday frustration shortly with a brand new feature to kick off the week on today's podcast. An opportunity for a good old Monday moan about the weekend's football shortly. There's also some tasty transfer tittle-tattle involving Liverpool, Brentford and Tottenham to cover on today's podcast. And that Spurs news will no doubt please Antonio Conte, who was very critical of the quality that he has at his disposal at Spurs at the moment as they lost their third game in a week to Chelsea in last night's Premier League action that's where we're going to start today's podcast with Nama Korn and Marley Anderson on hand to air their views. Good morning gentlemen. Morning Jim, morning Marley.
2: Good morning, how are we doing? Are we not talking about just Newcastle winning a game? No, <laughs> the whole
0: 40 minutes or whatever. I love not, that, we've decided not to do heroes and villains on the one weekend at <laughs> Newcastle and one a match. <laughs> um, feels like a coincidence doesn't it, even though it's not. We
1: are going to start with a Teaser today, today's teaser, which is a question that you will have the answer to by the end of today's podcast. And the teaser today is Which football ground in the whole of the Football League is closest to the River Mersey? It's one of those questions you either know the answer to or you don't. So I'm not uh, going to ask either of you for an answer. I just want to know whether you think you know it or not. And we'll find out at the end whether you do.
0: Just EFL, yeah, and Premier League, or just in general. Hang on, <laughs> I just need to check because something. if it's just football league, anyone don't, who knows Merseyside clubs is going to get the answer to yeah, this
2: pretty quickly. <laughs> don't challenge him to do research into the question. He's just—he's
0: just, he's just made on. up. No, I've just, it's something. It's—I've it's, it's, got. I think I know. I think I know. It's the answer one of to those it.
1: things. It's like a. It's quite a. Um. So it's outside the EFL as well. Okay, I it's, think uh, I think I know the answer. It to goes down question. a little bit lower but I'm now doubting my own research. It's one of those pub quiz questions that I would have got in a pub quiz about 10 years ago, but I've just suddenly worked out. It might not be relevant anymore because when I was asked it, it was EFL and Premier League. Anyway, the answer to that question, which may or may not be right, coming up at the end of today's podcast. But let's get stuck into Chelsea 2, Spurs 0, which was a disappointing result for any Tottenham fans, a reassuring result given Manchester City's draw at the weekend to Chelsea fans. I'm not sure they're back in the title race yet, but they're certainly a little bit closer than they were. But can Spurs look at themselves for this one, Marley, ultimately? Because they went against a weakened Chelsea team and they decided to play two centre-backs and four full-backs. They went (laughs) to contain Chelsea rather than win that game.
2: Yeah, um, I I seen the line-up and I just thought, for the life of me, I cannot work that out because at least two players are playing out of position. I like, couldn't work out where, you know, there was Tanganga, Davis, Sessignon, and Doherty. And I was like, well, some of them have got to be on a wing, like in a wing back position. And everyone's in there, Dyer and Sanchez as well. And I just thought, well, he's lost twice to Chelsea in, in the last couple of weeks um, and he's gone. Sod it. I'm just going to go for the point, which is very unlike Antonio Conte, I think. I mean, he has done it at times, but. You kind of expect a manager of his quality to say, I've spotted something in those two games where I can play a different system or different approach somehow, mm. uh, and we can maybe get something out of it. But it was just rinse and repeat. It was just Chelsea dominating, waiting for them to score. Um, and ultimately, once he scored, that was it. You had no no sort of belief that Spurs were going to get back into it. And then his, his post-match comments with his, his stuff about... Uh, you know, basically the team's not very good. <laughs> just kind of summed it up. So yeah, that's that's Spurs right now. They're a long way away from where they need to be, um, either to make Conte happy or to even just get results against the the best uh, the best teams in the league. And that's what Chelsea are. So the Chelsea way further down the road where Spurs want to be. Um, so it's going to take a while for that to
1: to get sorted out. I think we'll get onto those comments shortly about his team being rubbish in a bit but firstly I mean Tottenham offered so little in the game Nile. but they might argue that they deserved something for the goal that was chalked off Harry Kane a foul on Tiago, put the ball in the net VAR decided it was a foul and it wasn't a goal should it have stood
0: yeah really I guess by the sounds of your voice you don't think it should have stood oh, I think it's
1: really difficult I think I think Tiago's very clever with it I think he's smart you because, think it's a foul because Harry Kane there's a, there's a definite push on Thiago. Thiago goes down. Thiago goes down easily.
0: But at the same time he is running. If Thiago Silva pushes Harry Kane in that manner, do you think the referee gives a pen? If
1: Harry Kane has control of the ball at that period,
0: yes. You do. Yeah. Do you think, think Thiago so. Silva had control of the ball? No, but the it's ball than The ball came into defender, the box. He overbalanced. Harry Kane puts his hand in the small of his back. There's definitely contact. I think Harry Kane's stupid because I don't he, think does, he needs does Harry to touch Kane, Thiago with I think one Thiago... hand push Thiago Silva to the ground. Or is Thiago Silva already falling over because he's lost his balance? Kane spins him, puts the ball in the net. Kepa comes flying out when he should just stay where he was. Makes it easy for Kane to score the goal. I thought Chelsea were bailed out, to be honest. So, yeah, I can see why Tottenham fans would be aggrieved at that. I thought it was soft. I I mean, listen, the referee made the decision. There's no point complaining about it. We've spoken about this on the podcast loads of times. I'm sure we'll talk about it later, about how poor VAR and refereeing has been, but it isn't the worst decision this Mm. weekend in the Premier League, which it probably should have been, but... You know, it's one of those where you just have to kind of stomach it and go, that's disappointing. Um, But overall, Tottenham weren't good enough to win the game. So, yes, they should have had a goal. I can see why Tottenham fans would be disappointed at that, but they can't hang their hats on that and suggest that that was the reason why they didn't win the game. And I know goals change games in terms of momentum and, and, you know, the the impact on the style of play and, and the possession and stuff like that. I mean, goals can make a big difference in all of those things, but... For that to be pinpointed as a reason why Tottenham didn't win, I don't think it's fair. But I do think it was a bad decision. But well, again, well, if we if we all disagree on it, it goes to show just how hard a job yeah, refereeing completely.
1: is. Yeah, I mean, completely. And what's the flip side of that then, Marley? If you think it should have been ruled out, my view mm. is that Thiago's put off balance slightly by Harry Kane and Harry Kane's being stupid because he has enough time and space without pushing Thiago in the back to actually stop that ball and score the goal anyway.
2: Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think it was a foul. I think... Tiago's trying to turn uh, the shape of his body to intercept the cross and Harry Kane's hand, the hand in his back stops him from doing that. I don't think Tiago Silva had time to dive or anything like that, but when you're off balance and you're trying to change balance, the slightest touch can, can put you on the floor. Mm. Like it's just, that's just the way it is. Like That's just physics and how things work. So I think Kane, who has a track record of marginally cheating, Done it, done it again. It's it's almost the ground version of budging someone when they're in it, when they're in the air. You know, when someone jumps and you give them the slightest touch and they just lose control of the body mm. and they land on the head. Like it's it's that tiny touch. It's the balance and the timing of everything. I get it.
0: You mentioned physics, though. I don't I don't know if I believe that that's a reason for it to be a foul. So, it's like the argument. If, if Rashford when Rashford kicks a ball right and it knuckleballs everywhere. Or James Ward-Prowse scores a free kick like he did the other week, which I must admit was ridiculous. He kicks it and it just wobbles everywhere and goes in the top corner. Mm. That's physics. It's not cheating, and the the contact wasn't, wasn't enough. There. What
2: are you talking <laughs> about? Well, you say you say. Well, like, are you like, talking about a ball, and then you're talking about a
0: person falling over? He, yeah, exactly. He fell over. That's the point. Yeah, because he was on his pushed. way to yeah, the he didn't push really, he, he, he just he his, his hand you, on his before,
1: he, had a, he had a hand in his back. He, yeah, would, but he didn't push and then he it, and fell he just over. He kind of held him there. Would he have on, fallen over without that contact? This is the challenge that we have with VAR when people are expecting the right decision every single time. And we've got three people in a room, just like if we were sitting in Stockley Park, we'd be having the same discussion. It would be impossible to come to a consensus as to whether it should have been a goal or shouldn't be in a goal. It's the challenge that refereeing still has, even though we have this huge amount of technology to supposedly to aid referees. It's mm.
0: still an impossible decision to make. Yeah. I mean, if we're being objective here, you're a West Ham fan, so you hate Tottenham and Marley <laughs> don't really like Tottenham. Anyway, I, I so. quite dislike <laughs> Chelsea I want to be. like Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: there's no debating Chelsea's first goal because it was an absolute screamer from ZH. He is a man in form at the moment and I think the little run he's having in Chelsea's team a couple of games in a row is kind of helping him. But what did you make of his celebration? I mean, we could talk about the goal and watch it again and again. It was a beautiful goal. But when he scored against Brighton last week, there was no celebration, which might have been because of his frustration in that result. He scored again yesterday against Spurs. And he kind of just stood there with his arms out. It was a mooted celebration. He had to do something because he just scored one of the best goals of the month in terms of the Premier League, but he was quite mooted. Do you get the impression that from his reaction there, Marley, he just isn't happy at the moment at Chelsea?
2: Yeah, probably. Um, I think it depends on, like, that, that celebration depends on how, sort of what the situation's like, because you can do that kind of sort of puff your chest out and be like, yeah, like, and not actually celebrate, because if it was such a good goal, you can be like, yeah, I can do that. Hmm. Like, and And what, yeah, that's what I can do. But when, when he's been in and out of the team um, and he's not really a regular and there's been talks of him possibly leaving and, and things like that, I think when you score a goal like that and then you celebrate in that way, it's kind of like, well, yeah, why am I not in the team? That's what I can do. I've just bent one in the top corner. Hugo Lloris has been one of the best goalies in the world for about 10 years and he's not even moved because he thinks it's, flying, thinks it's sailing over his, over the bar. Then he realizes he's dipping in, but it's still there to do anything. So he's kind of like looking at it, going, "Please go over, please hit the bar, please." Ah, oh, it's gone in. And then it's just one of them. Like you can't, you can't sort of deny that quality. And I think he's, he probably got a right to be, because th- to be a bit annoyed that he's not in the team most weeks, because I think he provides the biggest goal threat of any of those sort of second strikers that Chelsea have got, like Pulisic, mm-hmm. Havertz. Mount Hudson Adoy, I think he provides as many goals, if not more, and probably more quality than all of them. Because Havertz is getting games because of his price tag. I think um, he's playing okay, but he's not. He's not scoring many. He's not assisting many. And they're, they're kind of hoping he, co- he comes good because he's seventy million quid. And they also spent seventy million on Kepra, and that's gone down the drain pretty much as well. So they can't be seen to like they don't want to give up on these huge price tags. Whereas Ziyech was like only. <laughs> like 40 million or whatever it was Bargain. yeah so I think he's kind of getting overlooked a bit and I think he'd he'd walk into about 17 other Premier League teams if I'm honest I mean that's the challenge
1: that Thomas Tuchel's got isn't it Nile? that it's the flip side of having a lot of talent or a huge squad, squad depth is you need to somehow pick your right team from that and Chelsea have got a huge range of attacking players at the moment that aren't potentially performing Lukaku you'd say has been disappointing since he came to Chelsea for example Mm. how does he unpick that does he ultimately need to give because Ziyech seems to be benefiting from a few games in a row so does he need to go right this is how I play this is my preferred front three or front four or wherever he is playing kind of just stick with it for a while rather than chopping and changing and bringing
0: in these different players and giving them the opportunity I think it's a hard balancing act particularly when you look at Chelsea's form since the start of November they've not been that good and that's kind of affected them in the title race and I think it's fair to say we probably all agree that they're they're out of the title race now because of that form they were dropping points when they shouldn't be dropping points they were drawing with teams that they should have been beating and they obviously lost that crunch game with Man City and I think when you're a manager it's a tough thing to balance because you know do you make changes because you've got a poor result the game before or as you say do you stick with it and hope that the players come through. Mm. And I think but because Chelsea's form has been so indifferent for the last nearly 2 months now, it's been difficult for Thomas Tuchel to kind of put his finger on it. And I think that's exactly what he said in a press conference recently. He said that, you know, it's hard for him to put his finger on exactly what the problems are. And and I guess with each player there there are different issues. So you know, we talk about Hakim Ziyech, obviously Africa Cup of Nations is on at the moment and he, he's he been exiled from the Morocco national team because of his behaviour on recent international camps where he was supposedly injured. Yet the medical staff checked him over in Morocco and said he was fit to play. And he said, I don't want to play and didn't train, decided he was going to turn up late to train and all this sort of thing. And he was kind of banned from playing for Morocco. So he's not been included. In their Africa Cup of Nations group, I think they've just got through to the knockout stages. So maybe that's a little bit in the back of his mind, um, like what Marley mentioned. You know, possibly being slightly unhappy at, at Chelsea. Um, it hasn't gone amazingly for him, but again, he's he's a very good player and scored an excellent goal. And I think he scored a goal the other day as well. So you know, he's looking like what you say, Jim. He's in decent form because he's been getting a run of games. But not every player works like that, and that's the, that's the skill of management. And that's why Thomas Tuchel's one plaudits because. You know, over the last year, because it is a year now that he's been in charge of Chelsea, just about, um, he's picked consistently a strong team and a team good enough to win games. But the last six weeks haven't been good enough. Mm. And so, you know, this is the first real turbulent spell. And we know what it's like with Chelsea, where if your turbulent spell lasts for too long, you're gone. Mm. Regardless of whether you won the Champions League, regardless of whether you're still in cup competitions, you're gone. That's how Chelsea Football Club works. So it's a solution he'll need to find pretty quickly. Um, and maybe now, winning a big London derby, a big game in the race for the top four against Spurs with that team, maybe that is the inspiration that Tuchel needs. And, and perhaps he will keep the same team for the next game. But but who knows? I think in talking about uh, keeping a consistent team for Chelsea, it's the fullbacks. You know, the wingbacks have been so important to the way they play. Ben Chilwell is out injured. Rhys James has been out injured. It's something Trevor Stephen mentioned on the dugout last week, and it, it was a really good point. You know, Chelsea have scored more goals from defenders this season than any other side in the Premier League. Thiago Silva scored a header at the weekend against Tottenham. Um, Those fullbacks were not only contributing with assists, but they were scoring as well. So to lose Chilwell and James has been really big for Chelsea um, and how they've replaced them maybe hasn't quite been in the way that they wanted. So um, maybe that win over Tottenham will kind of kick Tuchel into gear and find a solution between now and the end of the season. I mean, you
1: talk about consistency. There's now not another Premier League game for Chelsea until the 19th of February when they play Crystal Palace. So it's difficult to build that momentum and sure. consistency when there is a huge break in proceedings. Finally, Marley, there were some comments made by Antonio Conte after the match in which, as you called earlier, he pretty much laid into his squad, criticised the quality he had, had available, said he was mind behind, miles behind Chelsea in terms of the players. I mean, clearly he wants some new blood in this transfer market, and he is sending a message to Daniel Levy that Daniel Levy needs to get his checkbook out. Mm. If he doesn't back him now, Levy, if he doesn't bring in the players that Conte wants, we know that Conte is a fiery character. Could this be the latest managerial appointment at Spurs that ends in disaster?
2: Yeah, could be. Um, I think it's, it's utterly pointless to spend so long and so much money on finally getting a quality manager and then not backing him. Like, mm. it's just, it's you know, it's completely stupid. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know Spurs have got a, a complicated financial situation with the um, the money they've spent on compensation, the outgoings they've got hanging over the head, like, did, you know, does Kane stay or does Kane go and get you 100 million in the in the war chest, or do you, do you keep him and then have to come up with that money elsewhere? They've still got the stadium to finish paying off, I think. Um, so that's going to affect things. And if the answer to any of these questions is, like, there's no money, like, why have you signed Conte? Because he's a serial spender and he's mm. a serial winner, so he, he proves he can he can sign the talent. Um, and the, the only player I'm really seeing Spurs linked with is Adama Traore, and I, mm. you know, I've said... Said in the past, I don't think a Chiori is going to fix the problems that Spurs have got. You know, one one goal and no assists in the Premier League this season is not the final piece to the Spurs puzzle. When you're looking at, I mean, if Spurs were a, a one thousand piece jigsaw, I think four hundred of them are, are missing at the minute. So you're gonna, you know, you're never gonna complete that jigsaw with just sticking a Chiori in there. So. Um, they need more. They need, and that's going to take time. It's gonna—you can't do it in January. You know, everyone talks about January being a ridiculous month to spend in because nobody wants to sell the best players halfway through the season, um, especially to a team, you know, higher up. you know, they're start, they're trying to sign players from lower down the leagues who are fighting for their own things and have their own things going on. So it's tough. Um, he has a disadvantage that he came in halfway through the season. He hasn't had a summer with the players yet to drill them into his system and work out exactly what he wants. And I think Conte is trying to learn on the job a little bit. We're seeing Matt Doherty play a lot of games. I don't think Matt Doherty is good enough to play for Spurs. I think ideally he wants somebody who can play that wing-back role. Maybe that's why we're seeing Adama get linked and maybe he's going to try and turn him into a wing-back like he did with Victor Moses at Chelsea a few years ago. But we'll just have to wait and see what he does because it's going to take at least... I'd say two summers, never mind two transfer windows, I think two summers. So this one coming up and then see what happens next season. Hopefully they'll bridge the gap towards fourth or fifth. If they finish fifth next season, then that's great. And then they can, you know, push, try and get back into the Champions League the the year after when hopefully the team's rivals around them aren't as strong. They go through a bit of... um, like rebuilding and we talked about Liverpool's front three getting slightly older we talked about Man United's um don't know where Man United are going to be in two years time so they might be a little bit further away than what they 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 are now you never know so it's going to take a few years but Conte (laughs) it's never struck me as the most patient man in the world Mm. and Daniel Levy is probably the hardest man to work for in football because he doesn't do anything for for nothing sort of thing so Mm everything seems like a, a match made in hell when Daniel Levy's won half of it um, so we'll have to see but it's, it's like a ticking time bomb really isn't it but if, if it gets it right if, well, if they both work together
1: and get it right Spurs could be a serious force There is some potential Spurs transfer news coming up later in the podcast they are, might be delving into the lower leagues for a bit of young English talent we'll talk about that shortly but next we're going to talk about what we hated about the Premier League weekend on Football Social Daily
2: football's social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode
0: i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment That is a harsh lesson in business.
1: Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't
0: want to do another stomp you out speech.
1: It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal.
2: Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sports at sport-social.co.uk.
1: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Normally on a Monday we do heroes and villains, but it's become apparent that nobody enjoys talking about their heroes and everyone loves talking about their villains. So we've chopped and changed. We've got a brand new feature for a Monday podcast. It's called Get In The Sea. It's an opportunity to vent, spleen and have a moan about the things that have wound us up about the last couple of days of Premier League football. I'll give you an example of what I mean by going in with my Get In The Sea, which was going to be about Emmanuel Dennis messing up my fantasy football team this weekend because two games this week... Did you captain him? I did. (laughs) did. (laughs) Bang in form at the moment. Everyone thought he was going to be brilliant, so everyone's done the same, which is the only reason this isn't my get in the sea because not only did he not score, but he managed to get sent off in the first of the two games, meaning he's banned for the second game and I get double sending off points in my fantasy football team. Honestly, though, anybody that captained him... It's Watford. You've got to remember he plays (laughs) for Watford. Watford,
2: (laughs) Watford are bad and they're going to probably sack the manager soon. So you can't, you
1: can't captain one of the strikers for one of the worst scenes I mean,
2: in the league. It makes
1: no I sense. I bet loads. If you did it, if you captained Emmanuel Dennis and your fantasy football team at the sports social, let us know. Get yeah, in. Make Jim get feel onto, less I, bad I, itself, I bet yeah. 50% of managers did exactly the same. Oh, so many did. Yeah, yeah, loads of people did. Which yeah. means if it had worked, it would have been pointless anyway, because everyone's <laughs> done the same thing. But anyway, that isn't my get in the sea for today. Instead, my get in the sea is West Ham fans this weekend. Oh, turning on your own, Jim. Yeah. Just brave. Lost at the weekend, West Ham. Very frustrating Jim just needs to climb on his high horse here. Hang on. No, I'm, I'm justified here. And it's not just West Ham fans, actually. So it was a late goal from Marcus Rashford, which may or may not have been offside. VAR decided it wasn't offside. Meh, could have gone either way. Now, what wound me up about West Ham fans, and this winds me up about football fans in general, I think a lot of the time, is the poor grace in which they take a defeat. So in this instance, it was West Ham fans. And the call that allowed that goal has been called corrupt. It's been called favoritism towards Manchester United, and there's even been people showing video clips of the goal and taking a line, like as in one of the edge of the box lines from further <laughs> up in the pitch, that up. moving it, <laughs> <laughs> moving it across, and going, "Look, he is offside," because the line, as you move it, it shows he's offside without any understanding of how physics or perspective perspective works it's like there are going to be decisions got wrong in football it's going to happen all the time and when it is decided against you you just have to suck it up and go look forget it we've lost that game we move on to the next Mm. one because you've got it does even itself out and there will be bad decisions it was only last week against Leeds United that West Ham had a goal allowed which should have been ruled out for offside Mm. so it does even itself out so just handle it with some good grace the league isn't corrupt the league doesn't have favoritism towards the big teams, I don't think.
0: So just get over <laughs> you, it and move on. I'm, I'm glad you s- clarified that with your opinion at the end. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you've kind of stumbled over one of mine at the minute. It's not. Okay. It's not from this well, weekend. It's just a little one I might go into in future. But the the saying it evens itself out. <laughs> it doesn't. It just doesn't. It like does. even if it's minus one, you could go down off that minus one by getting one decision. That should, that goes against you. It that just shouldn't. De- it just depends how long it the never period of
1: time is, Marley. It's exactly, like it like, uh, could even itself out over 100 hundred. It's like years.
2: oh, we, we got relegated because of a handball in the Premier League, but in League Two, <laughs> the linesman was exactly. eating was eating a pasting when he should have had his flag up. You know what I mean? It just doesn't work. It's just it's one of them cliches, but let's move on.
1: Well, what is your you're getting the sea then, Marley? I don't know. That, <laughs> that
2: <one. laughs> no, come back to me because I think I th- I'm trying to do a bit of research into what
0: I've what I've got. So, okay. Now, now, now have you got a get in the sea for this weekend yeah my get in the sea is the name of this feature I don't <laughs> like the name of it I think it's terrible there's nothing wrong with the sea or getting in it it should be get in the bin surely um, I hope Marley can back me up seeing as we're both from places near the sea so hopefully that we do you, know what? you
2: definitely wouldn't go in the sea near where I'm from it's just <laughs> full of uh, chemical waste from fields.
0: <laughs> but yeah we should change it nothing wrong with getting in the allegedly, sea t- allegedly <laughs> <laughs> before Homer Simpson comes down on me Um, get in the bin we should change it to Um, I could easily choose VAR and not have to explain it because I hate VAR, Mm. always have done I've always said on this podcast that I know it's here to stay but I'm not an advocate for it and I don't think my mind's about to change but almost building off the back of what you said about fans in general um, (laughs) your thing you hate is fans in general (laughs) No, I, I love football fans, I think that they're a massively underappreciated cog in the wheel that is football. We said last season when there were no supporters in stadia, that they are the missing piece of the puzzle. They're always overlooked, particularly when it comes to fan ownership. You know, there was Everton fans outside the game against Aston Villa at the weekend. um, Sort of talking to Bill Kenwright. There was uh, Colchester United fans outside of their stadium, talking to their owner, explaining that they're not happy and they want improvements We've seen protests about owners in the Premier League as well over the last year or so. I think fans are completely... um, uh, Their voices aren't heard enough. I think they're underappreciated. I think they're overlooked. Uh, I think they're taken for granted. So I I love football fans. I am a football fan and always will be. But when I say fans, it it particularly comes down to the social media thing and the overreaction side of things. Mm. And that kind of ties into what you said. So my get in the bin is all of the Manchester United fans... All of the other fans of other clubs who decided that it would be a good idea to post on Paul Pogba's Instagram page when he posted a photo of him um, praying. He's a Muslim, Paul Pogba. Mm. Um, I think he he posted a photo of him praying um, the amount of people that abused him for that and tied that message that he was trying to send on his own social media profile to football. The post that he made was nothing about football. You know, this guy is a footballer. And yes, he's probably not been good enough for Manchester United since he's been there. But his religion and his personal life have nothing to do with that. No. And there's no need to comment on his post abusing him, giving him stick, sending him messages and information that he doesn't want to read or doesn't want to hear. And it got so bad that he's had to delete the post. Now, it's quite a religious time, I think, at the moment for um, in the Islamic calendar, I think. And so he obviously felt compelled to post that, and the fact that he's had to delete it because of the amount of stick he was getting is is so poor. So in terms of football fans kind of needing to get in the sea slash bin, I think it would be it would be those who feel that it's okay to just send messages of abuse to people on social media behind the veil of anonymity. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's not going to be the it's not the first time, it won't be the last time that we'll talk about this on the show. It's just depressing, Jim. It's it just depressing. You know, um, it,
1: it just never ends, does it? We should also... There is a line here as well, and I 100% agree with you and what I was saying is, well. It, there's a big difference between football fans and mm. football fans on social media. Yeah,
0: and the majority of football fans here yeah. are absolutely golden. Like A lot of them are brilliant, um, but there are a small minority, and it always is a small minority that ruins it for everyone else. And whether that be with unsavoury behaviour, distasteful comments, sexism, racism homophobia, all of these things. Um, You know, come on, guys. It's 2022 now. We're in a position now where people should be able to just keep their mouths shut. And there's an old saying, isn't there? Many people's mothers used to say to them, if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. And Mm. social media seems to have eroded that little idiom there. So it's a shame, but that would be my get in the bin for this week. And a very good one as well. Not Marley, what have you got? Have you done your research? (laughs) Just on the phone to Oxford University Library at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. Um
2: do you know what? I was I was watching something and I've kind of got the research of it wrong because I was going to I was going to say, um the decision from the Brentford Wolves game where the referee stopped the game cuz he wanted to send off um Toti from Wolves who I, by the way never heard I don't know when he signed in by the way got no idea what that is but um and he stopped it and then he rescinded his his uh, his decision, his red card into a yellow card, but he should have let the game flow because there was an advantage and Brentford were inside Wolves' box. But the way it all worked out, uh, Brentford scored from the resulting free kick. So I thought it was like perfect, like karma. Like the referee tried to make a decision; he was right to call it back because he thought it was a red card. Um, and then he floated one into the box, and Tony put a sensational volley into the back of the net and. I just I thought that was really good, so that's not something I hate. That's something I kind of like. <laughs> but it reminded me of a decision which I hate, but I can't think of a, a one that happened this weekend. But it still annoys me, and it's annoyed me this weekend because it's annoyed me like today. And it's the this this thing in football where you can get punished for your follow through of a tackle or winning the ball. Mm. So, for example, like when you you overrun the ball. And then you're you're about to hit another player, but you flick the ball away first, and then your following foot catches him on the top of the foot, or the ankle, or the shin, or something. My book, that's not a, that's not a foul, because you've you've already won the ball, and it happens week on week. I thought it happened this week. This is what I was trying to do before that. I thought it happened this week, but I, I don't think it did. Um, but it it just winds me up how. This new crazy in football is you can get punished for winning the ball and surely football is about winning the ball. Like Didn't it happen to West Ham of the ball?
0: earlier on in the season? One of your players got sent off for kicking the ball and then as they followed through, the studs made contact with someone's knee. Was it Cresswell, maybe? Uh, yeah,
1: that ringed. I can't remember the exact incident, but it does ring it a bell. It was
0: just someone clearing the ball and they got sent off for it. Yeah, yeah it, was it, was kind of a, it was quite early in the, of the season.
1: Legs slightly raised, but he got the ball and then followed through into the uh, player. I can't quite
0: remember yeah. exactly, but it, I do remember it, it happening
2: to West Ham. A similar kind of thing happened with Southampton against uh, City at the weekend when, I think... Was it Armstrong on on Laporte? Mm. That's it's not it's not the same that one because it's that's kind of like they were both going for a a, a bouncing ball kind of thing. Um, but even that, I thought you know, people demanding a red card for Armstrong when, like. There are times in football matches where you've got to raise, raise your foot to mm. get the ball. If the ball's bouncing, you can't wait until it's on the floor. What about, what Otherwise, about? we might, have, might as well play with a medicine ball and just make sure it never, never touches the, the air. You know?
0: What about times when you have to put your left hand in a player's back? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you've got to do that. Sometimes you get fouled. We are getting to a place with football at the
1: moment, though, where it is becoming less and less contact-based. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's annoying. Yeah, it is annoying. Well, that is Marley's Get in the Sea. You can always contribute to this every Monday, by the way, because we're going to do it every single week. A chance to have a little bit of a moan about the weekend's action. At the Sports Social on Twitter is the place to head if you want to get involved. Right, we're gonna wrap up with some transfer rumours next. Some deals in the offing for Tottenham, for Brentford, and potentially for Liverpool as well. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. <laughs> Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Going to rattle through some transfer rumours. Still a few days left of the transfer window. Six days left until it closes, which means there's still five days before David Moyes decides to put a bid in for anyone. We're going to start off with Tottenham, as I said earlier. They're delving into the non-league for a new recruit. Luz and winger Ollie Tanner is of interest, says The Athletic. Brighton are also interested in this guy. I've got to say, 19 years old, Oli Tanner. Not a name I'm massively familiar with. Can either of review, boys, add any intel
0: into this fella? Uh, no. I don't <laughs> no? know anything about it. <laughs> okay. Um, what I do know, though, is that Lewis are a club, I think they're based near Brighton. Their uh, club crest is a castle yeah. and their stadium's called the Dripping Pan.
1: I know they're very good in terms of equal ops. Yes. So they Men and women team, get paid the yeah, same. Exactly, yeah. which I think is brilliant. The, the women well, that's are, it. That's
0: all I know about them. The women are Does in that a, mean a, the men get paid? Nothing. Or the women get paid loads. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's probably the former, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, the women's team are at a higher standard than the men's team. I think it has to be said um, in terms of league pyramid and league structure. But seeing as we Sounds don't know like anything, a friendly is in need
2: <laughs> once and for all.
0: Seeing as we don't know anything about this guy in particular, I think what we can highlight, Jim, is the um, how 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 you can uncover a diamond in the rough by mm. signing from non-league. Yeah, everyone knows the Jamie Vardy story. Tyra Ming started in non-league. There are multiple examples of a player beginning in non-league and working his way up through the pyramid. I mean, one I know fondly is Jamal Lowe, who currently plays as a winger for Bournemouth, who are doing well in the Championship. We signed him from Hampton and Richmond Borough. He came to Portsmouth, went to Wigan, went to Swansea, and he slowly worked his way up from League Two to the Championship. And maybe if he gets promoted with Bournemouth, he might be a Premier League player. And no doubt when he scores his first goal in the Premier League, if that ever is to be the case... The commentators and the pundits will go, Jamal Lowe, what a story. He was a car salesman from, you know, uh from West London. He was a, a PE teacher from West London mm. and now he's this. It, it, which is brilliant. Now he's a Premier League goal scorer. So everyone knows the Jamie Vardy story. Everyone knows um how non-league players can be hungry to prove themselves, but to go from that level to Tottenham Hotspur is a massive step up. To go from non-league to league two is a huge step. Step up so to then maximise that by another four divisions to go from I'm not sure what are they in the Conference South so what's that the sixth tier to go from the sixth tier to the first tier it's probably on a part time contract he probably gets paid to play rather than paid per week and so then to to come up and and kind of quit a full time job mm. or you know to then go up to, to Tottenham. Um, I can't imagine he'll be a first-team proposition. I can't imagine this is someone Antonio Conte, as Marley discussed earlier, has been trawling through the uh, <laughs> the footage of looking for in terms of this, this new saviour who's going to help Tottenham get in the top four. No, so he'll be bought in and loaned out, won't he? That's yeah, the he'll be bought in, loaned out to a lower league club or he'll be brought in and then, um, you know, kind of played in the under-23s as a 19-year-old. Mm. You know, he'll, he'll probably be in and around that group, part of the development squad, so... Yeah, nice to see Tottenham looking in the non-league um, for players because I do think there's some excellent talent in non-league football, which often uh, goes undiscovered. So it's nice to see them looking, but I can't imagine this is someone who will be seeing as a, a name to remember in the Premier League in the next couple of years. It'll probably be, if that is to be the case, a bit further down the line than that. We'll move on as none of us know anything about I'm just, I'm about just reading he's,
2: he's been... Um... He's been training with Spurs for the last couple of weeks and okay. then playing for lose over the over the weekend. It's always um, quite
1: exciting when... And a,
2: I've just seen him score an absolutely ridiculous free kick uh, 12 days ago, something like that. Well, so,
1: yeah. Anyone can go and look on the internet, Mark. <laughs> so we'll let people do that. <laughs> yeah, go and, go and watch
2: his free kick left-footed. Absolute beauty. Yeah.
1: A player we're probably all more familiar with is Christian Eriksen. We know what happened during the Euros with his heart issues. He could be heading to the Premier League, say, Sky Sports Sources... Sky Sports sources is normally some bloke on Twitter, but in this occasion, there looks to be some truth in the suggestion he could be coming to Brentford. Currently, Brentford are doing their due diligence on the player. I guess that means they're looking into his health issues and checking that he can still play football at a professional level. Could be a gamble, this one, Marley, but if, they, if Brentford get the Christian Eriksson that 75% of he was last time he was in the Premier League, it's a hell of a signing.
2: Yeah, I I think this is
1: uh, very on Brentford as well.
2: Yeah, I think I think it's a relatively risk free move, and I say that is in like footballing terms. Obviously, not gambling on his health or anything mm. like that, but I'm sure he'll be fine because like the medical staff will be super aware of of what they're looking for now, and you know, m- taking precautions against it. I think there's multiple cases of players playing with. Um, is it called an I I D U or ICU something there? The little yeah. pacemaker type not device. ICU
1: I think it's I, ICU's intensive care unit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's all right. Yeah, yeah it's uh, a, what you mean.
2: pacemaker anyway, basically, isn't it. So I think Daily Blind plays you one. There's there's a few others as well. Um so you you're talking as long as his safety's alright, I think they're gonna get a good player because I think if you look at Brentford where the sort of struggle is is that final pass? Sometimes the the general play is pretty good. Um, they they can keep the ball. They're comfortable in possession. They're pretty brave with it, um, and they they try and play. I think if you can slot Eriksen into that position behind Ivan Tony, somebody like Ivan Tony could do very very well with Eriksen mm. behind him. Like, yeah. I think he needs more chances. He's I, I think what did he get thirty six or something last season? He broke the championship scoring record. Um, and. This season, he's found that it's a lot harder in the Premier League. You know, he's, he's marked tighter. Everyone knows his reputation. So I think you need another focal point to say we need to be worried about him as well. And Brian and Bermo and and Johan Visser and Vitaly Yanelt are just not players who you go, Christ, we've got to stop them. You go, we've got to stop Ivan Toney. And then we kind of stop Brentford, hopefully. Mm. Um, whereas if you bring in Eriksen, I think Eriksen's used to having players trying to stop him playing. Uh, for 10 years now and he knows how to carry on playing finding them little pockets of spaces finding them passes delivery from set pieces and goal threat he's got everything or he had everything um, and then has he he still got it? I think he does I think a a small well a big incident but um, I don't think it's enough to just end him as a player like he got to a a massively high level with, with Spurs he was struggle the Inter a bit with his sort of being frozen out by Conte and stuff but if he comes back I think he's got a point to prove again and I think a hungry player and a hungry Christian Eriksen to prove people that he's still around and still knows what
1: he's doing I think is a really smart business I think from Brentford. Looking at a six month loan well not actually six months, won't be a loan deal because he's a free agent but a six month deal which kind of works for everyone, gives yeah. Christian Eriksen an opportunity to prove himself again, it gives Brentford a player who could Solidify their Premier League status, not that they're looking too threatened in that at the moment. I'd say he'd anyway. be perfect back at Spurs if Conte wasn't the manager. <laughs> Very true. Um, right, one final rumour. This is coming from transfer guru Fabrizio Romano. He says Liverpool are looking at Fulham's 19 year old winger Fabio Cavallo, who always impressed me in the Premier League for Fulham last season. He seemed to have a little bit of a spark about him. The Mail are also reporting that West Ham and Leeds fancy this player. Could be a decent deal, this, and I guess. We've talked a lot about this refresh of the front three, Nile of Liverpool looking to bring in replacements from Mane and Salah. We're probably not talking about him stepping right into those shoes, are we? But this is a player that will be earmarked for the future and does offer a similar set of attributes, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think that's a point worth making, that it's not going to be someone, as we mentioned, who comes straight into the team. And a good example of what Liverpool have done with someone akin to um this lad is is Harvey Elliott, who is a player they signed I think was it from Blackburn Marley I'm not mm. cool. yeah from Blackburn yeah. and you know he was someone who um was quite raw but talented and you know needed some perfection but after a bit of time um whether that be out on loan or in the sort of uh, under twenty three setup getting to know the club training at elite facilities hanging around with first team players and really getting up to standard um when he was thrown in before he got a nasty leg break earlier this season, mm. I think, um, he looked really, really good. So I, I think, you know, if you look at Harvey Elliott... Um, Fulham, in, they signed him from... Fulham, right? was it? Sorry, he was on loan On loan at Blackburn, that's <laughs> it. Sorry, I knew he was on loan somewhere, but couldn't think where. Um, but he signed him from Fulham, yeah, you, you're spot on. And then, um, and then, yeah, just, you know, a bit of time in the first team it has done him a world of good. And obviously he's out injured at the moment, but he was someone who really caught the eye, particularly in the cup games when he featured... Um, so Liverpool have, have made some quite astute signings in those forward positions. I think they know that as good as Sadio Mane and uh, Mo Salah are, they're not going to not going to be there forever. And you know, they, they still might be, well might be there for another two or three seasons at the very least, but they do need to start thinking about how they replace these players. And that's something that, you know, the elite clubs do need to figure out like Manchester City. Um, you know, replacing Vincent Kompany was an issue for them for a season. And then they found Ruben Dias, who's been absolutely excellent. And Laporte has come into the back line and John Stones has seen a resurgence in form. Um, Fernandinho keeps signing one-year contract extensions. It took them ages to try and find the right profile of player that they were keen on and Pep was happy with to replace Fernandinho. Rodri has now come in and he's a first-choice Manchester City starter over Fernandinho, who's been excellent. Um, So I think that getting these decisions right... Um, is important for the elite clubs and Liverpool will be no different. So if you look at their track record of signing forward players, Harvey Elliott has impressed me. He's still a very young lad. Uh, Minamino was not a stab in the dark, but he's someone with a lot of energy. Um, he's been out on loan at Southampton as well, getting Premier League experience, but I think he only cost like 11 or 12 million, which in modern money is, is not a lot. And now we look at Diogo Jota, who they signed from Wolves, who's just slotted in absolutely brilliantly and scored a Mm. fair amount of goals. And he's been perfect replacement or or even a starter, really, for that front three. And he's a great foil to the rest of them. So I think that that's a a really good example. So now if we add um, another player to the mix, you'd have to suggest that with the way things have gone for Liverpool in terms of who they signed, they, they would have had their eye on this lad and... You know, I guess that's credit to Fulham for producing the likes of Harvey Elliott. And now there's another player that could be on his way to Liverpool. So, you know, their youth setup is very good down at Craven Cottage. and must give them credit for that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know a great deal about this, uh, this lad, but I certainly think that if Liverpool are interested, that says a lot.
1: A few youth prospects getting the eyeballs in the Premier League at the moment. Right, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Just time to wrap up our teaser. Which football ground, was the question, is closest to the River Mersey? Now I may or may not be right on what I thought with this one, because it's slightly <laughs> an old question. But do you know what've so, I've done some uh, very basic looking on Google Maps over the last 40 minutes, and I think I've got an answer for
0: you. Got so for the eye test.: M- Marley Nile, any guesses which football ground is closest to the River Mersey? I think this could be a trick question, because since I've moved up north, I've noticed that the River Mersey does actually go through Manchester.: It does. does. So maybe it could be a, a Manchester club. It could be. I thought that it might be uh, Old Trafford for a minute, but I thought that's actually the River Irwell, wasn't it, that goes around the back yeah, of Old the Trafford and across the to canal. That. Um, my initial um, answer would have been Tranmere Rovers when you said, L- yeah, "League same. club," yeah. and then you said it might not be a league club, and then I was thinking Marine. Oh, that's that's a completely different answer. I've not looked in. Cause I, cause Marines I, on Crosby, <laughs> Marines on Crosby Beach, okay. which Tr- is next to the Mersey. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping it could be them. Tranmere
1: but- was the one that I considered being potentially the answer that would throw mine, but I've looked into that and that is not the case. Okay, okay. So it's, but it might be Marine. I'm going to look at that. Could one be wrong. While uh, Marley offers up his suggestion. Uh, well, I also think it's a
2: Manchester-based club because um, it runs so far through, but because. Because it's Manchester, I don't think it's a city centre things. So I was gonna plump for Stockport, Edgley which is Park. just on the out. Yeah, Edgeley Park, which is just on the sort
1: of outside of Manchester, which is the correct answer. Marley, well, in Lally, well done, mate. Edgley Park is four hundred meters from the banks of the River Mersey. Marine. Wow. I mean it depends where the river Mersey starts it's impossible to tell. <laughs> it looks to me like it's a little bit further away from the mouth Out of, ground of the river.
2: Edgeley Park is a great ground.
1: Very old school football ground Prop is on, yeah. Park. Yeah. Uh, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. We'll be back tomorrow with more Premier League news and views. We'll catch you then.
2: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.